and the trailer for this movie came on, I would have to leave. <laughs> I would have to leave the room. Even I know that's, that breaks some <laughs> ethical rule, right? You don't do that. This movie is so heavy with emotion that when that happened, a lot of people laughed. Welcome back, Fright Clubbers. We are back in the studio, and look at this. There's only two people here in the studio. That's very appropriate, considering <laughs> the uh, the topic that we're diving into today. Welcome. <laughs> she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we're from MadWolf.com, and this is the Fright Club podcast. First of all, big thank you to author uh, Haley Piper, who joined us last week. We talked about cosmic horror, and we talked a little bit about her great new book, The Worm and His Kings. If you like Cosmic Horror, I really recommend you give this one a read. It's very involving. It's a lot of fun. And she was great to have on. I mean, I, I just loved her thoughts about the genre. And I thought she had some great stuff to say. Yeah, and I found out. Well, I, I guess I knew Cosmic Horror has a lot of fans oh, that yeah. like it better than we do. Right. But I did enjoy digging into those. Well, it's funny. I remember a long time ago, somebody recommended that we do found footage horror because I had mentioned on many an early podcast that I'm not a fan. And when you do that, when you sit down and go through all of the ones that you can find, you realize, oh, I kind of do like it. Yeah. I like I focus on <laughs> yeah. the ones I don't like. And I think that was this was helpful for that same reason. Yeah, and also I think it reminded it reminded me anyway, maybe both of us, that um one of the times we're gonna get around maybe to doing a podcast on on second thought, you know, movies right. that we really didn't like that well the first time and maybe need to reconsider yeah. them because that happens. Oh, it does. We see so many movies that that happens all the time. Like, mm -hmm. oh, maybe I misjudged it a little mm -hmm. bit. So mm -hmm. maybe we'll get to that. But uh, we've got a lot to talk about before that. And first of all, thanks to everybody that has joined up with the brand new Fright Club podcast group on Facebook. That has been fun. It's growing slowly. Yeah, and, it has uh, been fun. And, and if you're not in it yet, so easy to do. Just find it. It's Fright Club Podcast. That's the group on Facebook. Just send us an invite, and we will approve. We will. As soon as we see it. There'll be no background checks or anything. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been fun. When you start one of those things, and you, then you hope that people start engaging. You know, Talking and, with each other. Yeah, and they are. I mean, people are posting fun stuff about, about horror movies. So, yeah, let's keep that growing. Again, that's Fright Club Podcast, the group on Facebook. And apologies, again, to whoever's idea that was. I, I can't believe we forgot. But, I know. I'm sorry. But we love you. Uh, because <laughs> we got around to it. So anyway, on the cosmic horror, we didn't get a whole lot of pushback, which was nice. No, the only thing um, Phil rightly pointed out, he would have hoped to see the thing. Um, and as we kind of talked about in the in the podcast, I mean, the thing is a magnificent, classic, amazing film. But what I wanted to do was limit the scope to things that felt not sort of exclusively alien. But uh, something a little bit more sort of mind bendy and you know other dimensional. Yeah. Um, partly because I put the thing on so many lists. Yeah. Uh, same with Alien. Alien sure. could have easily been on the list uh, as well because they both are very Lovecraftian. But yep, yep. And I totally get that. The love oh, of the yeah. thing. We love it too. Oh, so yeah. good call, good call. But uh, overall, though, I think people were pretty happy, and uh, and we're happy about that. But uh, we've got table for one, two, or three tonight. That's right. Um, so it's no more than three, right? There's only Correct. so basically. You're you're limited to sort of a, a horror chamber piece, exactly. I guess mm -hmm. uh, in in the cast, and it can, a lot can be done, as they say, good things in small packages. Sometimes a lot can be done, as we will find out. Right, exactly. Yeah. When I started looking into it, I was surprised by how many great movies fit yeah. into this category. Yeah, and sometimes, and and we'll talk about this. Sometimes you kind of have to make a an allowance for a just a brief sight of another person or something like that. But it's so quick yeah. that we're just gonna. 
appeal to the judges who are us, <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll we'll have a ruling. So anyway, though, we've got uh, top six. It's fuzzy math. We've got top six, top five of uh, horror chamber pieces. Uh, so why don't we just dive right in with number six? And this one, one is one that we wanted to do. This is really what made it, what, what forced our hand to make it be a top six, top five, because we don't think we've ever talked about this. Correct. This one's from 2005. It centers on Haley, a smart, charming teenage girl. Jeff is a handsome, smooth fashion photographer. An internet chat, a coffee shop meetup, an impromptu fashion shoot back at Jeff's place. Jeff thinks it's his lucky night. He's in for a surprise. Hard candy. You work as a photographer, you find out real quick. People's faces lie. Does my face lie? <laughs> These were all shot here? My house is my studio. I recognize this girl. The things you do wrong, they haunt you. This is officially sick. Boy, this is an uncomfortable movie. <laughs> yes, especially for Patrick Wilson. <laughs> yes, but, you know, it does have, so it is almost exclusively Patrick Wilson and Elliot Page, although Sandra Oh has a very small part in it. But it is, you know, 99% really just two people. And the the way that their personalities shift and are unveiled as this kind of wears on, I thought was so fascinating. Yeah, this is the first time I had seen, or we had seen Elliot Page, then Ellen Page, of right. course. And she's fantastic. And part of it is because I don't know how old she was at the time. She looked so young. Right. Which made it even creepier. Yeah, I mean, he's still very little yeah. and uh, and fragile looking. And in this movie, I think they emphasize not just that and not just sort of the androgynous look because because the hair is very short, mm -hmm. but also sort of the bare midriff shirt. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's there's, there's a whole lot of sort of vulnerability and toughness all wound up yeah. physically in this character. And, of course, that is also what, what is inside of this character. Yeah, uh, gr great performance. Uh, 300 girls auditioned for the part of Haley. Wow. And uh, Elliot, just fantastic. And I, I love reading this tidbit because uh, when they were filming the scene where Haley implies that everything Jeff thinks he knows about her is a lie, producers wanted to include a line where she says that she was actually 18 rather than 14, and Elliot adamantly against that. Yeah. And that is so right. It is. It's very important because there's no reason for us to know. And in fact, I think it makes the movie much more powerful yeah. if you don't think that that this character is of age. Yeah. Um, that not only does this man believe that he's preying on a 14-year-old, but it is a 14-year-old who is turning the tables on him. I think that makes it a much more interesting movie. Yeah, and we certainly don't want to give anything away for anyone who hasn't seen it, but they they shoot on the roof of a garage right yeah. toward the end. Oh yeah, that was the roof of the ArcLight Cinemas Hollywood Theater Complex. We went we, to a movie we, yeah. there. <laughs> We've been to a couple movies there. Yeah. It's not far from where our, where our son was living for yeah. a while. Yeah, and uh, and so we used to go to see films because there. it was part of that um, sort of sh shopping sort of mall. Is it where Galleria? He used to work mm -hmm. at the one restaurant. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I thought, hey, wait a minute, <laughs> we haven't been on the roof, but we've been no. there. <laughs> Yeah, very, very uncomfortable, driven by, like you said, it's mainly two people, mm -hmm. Sandra O, oh, mm -hmm. but this is one where we're just going to just kind of say, no, this is two people, really. 
fantastic performances. It is really, really unsettling, and the ambiguous nature of it just just adds to it. Yeah, yeah, and it's writer and the writer and director who who brought Thirty Days of Night to the screen, right? right? So David Slade directed, and Brian Nelson wrote, and uh, and I, you know, I think Thirty Days of Night is a super fun movie. I really enjoy that movie, but I don't think that that movie suggests particularly in writing, but also in the direction, uh, the the streamline. I mean, this is a relentlessly tense and uncomfortable movie. Your guts are just tight the whole time. And, and I don't think that the rest of what these two have done suggests that they have that kind of mastery over manipulating the audience's emotions. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, really well done. In fact, you could see how it would be. It, it it didn't start out as a play, but if it had, it wouldn't have had, it wouldn't have surprised me if it did. Uh, really? It, no, yeah. I agree. That yeah. I agree entirely. It's that sort of character study, and that is hard candy number six in our list of uh, table for one, two, or three horror. All right. So before we get to the the main top five here, we just had speaking of the Facebook, uh, the Fright Club podcast Facebook group. One of the things we're going to be doing regularly is putting out ideas for topics, and you know, basically let other people do the work for us. And and so they really did. I mean, we had a bunch of great suggestions for a topic to do, starting with Melissa Dina. She said bugs, uh, insects, bugs. That's mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Silas wants uh, horror movies that we hate. Mm-hmm. Right, that could be fun. It could be fun. Dark Dave and Jamie both vote for Poe. That was not a surprise, guys. Jamie also votes for RV Horror, which we will absolutely oh, yeah. do. That's and actually, good. we're going to do the next podcast we do is with Jamie the, uh, from Faith, Five from Fans, and we're going to do motorcycle horror. And those two fit together pretty well. In fact, yeah. there's one overlap that I can think of. Yeah, RV is good. Seth suggested Lucho Fulci. Uh, not, not, again, not our favorite, but, uh, you know, that could be cool to dig into. Oh, yeah. And then Chris wanted parks or gyms. Gyms, saunas, pools, things like that. That could work. Oh, yeah, that's the thing. He wanted parks or gyms. And I immediately took both into two separate directions because parks, I would like to do parks and sort of where kids collect and play because like two of the greatest scenes that take place in those bouncy ball places, oh, yeah. right? And then, yeah, gyms. I've never thought of just doing gyms, but saunas, pools, and gyms. Oh, I could, I've already got yeah. five right now in my head. <laughs> That's how your brain works. Uh, <laughs> Phil also wanted satanic cinema, even sent us some links. So. Yes, very excited. One is a book. You know how much I yeah. love horror movie books. Love that. Pint of Joe wants libraries, and that is a great idea. So here's why. Because, and she, I think, thought it was a joke because also Brandon is a librarian and she thought they could just tell us scary things that happen in the libraries. But there's two things I love that happen in libraries. And almost every movie, well, there's a huge section of movies made in the 60s, 70s, and 80s where some sleuth has to go to the library. And either they fall asleep after some helpful librarian has brought them a big stack of reference books in their pristine, yeah. and then they I wake know. up after a nightmare, <laughs> or my favorite, microfiche. They go to the microfiche machine <laughs> yeah. and they scroll through and scroll through and then they print off all of the information oh. about the house that they just bought where a, where a satanic cult used to bury children. Whatever. I love both of those types of movies. So I, I, I think we'll just do a back-to-back when on When I that. was in college going through the Ohio State microfiche and, and, and everything to write some paper. Oh, that's fun. Mason, I love this idea. Mason said movies that capture the decade that they were released or... Well, movie. see, the or was ours. Yeah. Oh, was it ours? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, okay. Sorry, Mason. Because we, <laughs> we liked ours better. 
movies that capture a decade that were they were not released. Right. You know, both of those are good, though. They are. I love both of those. But the first thing I thought of, which is weird because it's not what he said, but the first thing I thought of was The Love Witch and how, yeah. how just perfectly 1971 The Love yeah. Witch is. True. And then I thought of all of these movies that are just set in the 80s but weren't filmed in the 80s. So anyway, maybe we'll do both because yeah. that gives us basically 20 potential to- uh, podcasts. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> uh, Maya, uh, thinking about Valentine's Day, recommended I Love You to Death. That was pretty popular, actually. She got a lot yeah. of likes on that that's, idea. I like that one, too. Yeah. Definitely. And then Michael recommended this one. This one. This was the winner from this group. So Although, ding, ding, I, ding. We'll, we'll eventually do all of those. Oh, those are great. Yeah, they are. Those are fantastic. So thank you for that. This is kind of fun stuff we do in the Fright Club podcast uh, group. So please join up if you haven't already. All right, so let's get back to it. Um, this is from 2010. This is number five. Paul is a U.S. truck driver working in Iraq. After an attack by a group of Iraqis, he wakes to find he is buried alive inside a coffin. With only a lighter and a cell phone, it's a race against time to escape this claustrophobic death trap. It is buried. Yes, 911. I'm from Hastings, Michigan. I'm a driver for CRT. My convoy was ambushed. I'm buried in a coffin in the ground, and I need help. Please send help. I'm begging you. How did you end up in the coffin, sir? I was put here. You American? Yeah. Five million months to nine months to stay buried like dog. I'm an American citizen. My convoy was attacked and I'm being held for ransom. I need five million dollars or I'll be left to die here. These threats are real and will be followed through on. I just have a few questions for you, Mr. Connor. You gotta be kidding me. It's important that I get this information. It'll help me. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. How do you know my name? What's going on right now? Do you remember the first several times we were in the theater and the trailer for this movie came on? I would have to leave. <laughs> I would have to leave the room. Yeah, man. I'll tell you. And I'm almost certain we haven't talked about this before, have we? No, I don't think we have. No. Um, it, you know, I think that it's it's been a close call on a number of different lists. It's an obvious choice for this list because obvious. aside from voices, and and uh, we're not going to count that against anybody, aside from voices, he's the, he is the only face you see is Ryan Reynolds. And the entire, the entire movie yeah, is inside dead. the coffin. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, yeah, oh, man. I know. I mean, it, it is. really it's... is a testament to his uh, charisma, right? His performance. And I think that before he made this movie, I think there was some debate as to whether or not he was in ta- even talented. Handsome and good with quips. But talented? I don't know. But this movie, I think, you know, uh, you know erased any questions about that. Yeah, this is definitely a, a, a table for one here because he's the only person that we see in the flesh. The other your voiceovers, you're right, mm-hmm. or recorded on the cell phone. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so that doesn't count. And then it's all shot from inside the coffin. The film never repeats a shot. And this is minimalism uh, oh, taken to the extreme. It really is. I mean, there are some great movies that, you know, make use of just really one actor. Uh, the, the greatest of all is probably Locke uh, with Tom Hardy. <sighs> That's good. And then, of course, there's Godspeed. <laughs> Our uh, movie. Thank nice. you, Cat McAlpine, for being the Tom Hardy slash Ryan Reynolds for Godspeed. Do we still have the link up? To where, we where do. You can watch if that you movie, if by you by chance want to watch our one man show, one woman show, Godspeed, it's a short film, nine minutes, and you can find it. It's a pinned tweet, but it's also on the Fright Club somewhere. Okay, that the... was nice, nice plug. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't call it shameless. It's a good plug <laughs> because it fits. We're talking about a one man show here, and it definitely is. And uh, Ryan Reynolds has said that he suffered from claustrophobia toward the end of the filming. Well, gee whiz, right? How could you not? I don't. Know. I mean, man. Well, I, can't, so, I can't be doing that. I feel like I have to tell the story because uh, uh, you've been in radio for a very long time. And many years ago, somebody at your radio station decided that they should have a gimmick where they bury somebody alive. Yeah, there were these stunts. I, the stations really don't do them anymore. But they had this company would come around and you could do a stunt where somebody would basically be buried 
under either. One time we did it with buried in ice, and then another guy was buried in concrete, I think. Um, and, and you try to raise money and get awareness and everything like that. And so they're talking about what the DJs are going to do it. And I was, I was just, there's, there's no possible way no. you're going to get me to do this. Fact, I mean, the was, guys that did it, they were fine. Well, it was your friend Jeff, and we yeah. would wake up at night like, oh, my God, Jeff is still down there. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. It's and the remember, worst idea I can was, think of. It was back in where our, stu- our studio was around that shopping area. Yeah. So it had a lot of foot traffic, and they had it set up so people could come in, in and look down at him. Yeah. And he had just enough room to wave and stuff. I, st- I still, yeah, no. you're right. We would wake up I in the middle of the night. I would have PTSD. Yeah, and oh, just yeah. go, oh, my God, he's still there. Yeah. But uh, anyway, we got sidetracked. So, yeah, this is very, very claustrophobic. And it's funny. And- it's written by Chris Bar- Sparling, who also wrote ATM, which really just has yeah. three people That's right. in it. That's so right. he's, this is kind of his wheelhouse. Yeah, it's so minimalistic that you could see how it's hard to make that effective. Oh, my God, yes. you have so little to lean on and so few corners to cut and uh, but it is it's effective no b-roll no no it was shot in just 17 days uh in sequence in a barcelona studio and uh effective effective one-man show that is buried starring ryan reynolds moving up to number four this is one from uh 2014 a young videographer answers an online ad for a one-day job in a remote town to record the last messages of a dying man. When he notices the man's odd behavior, he starts to question his intentions. <laughs> this is creep. So the reason I've hired you is because I have terminal brain cancer, and I want you to film me to make a video diary for my unborn son. You ready for this? Okay. <laughs> there was about two seconds there where it looked like you wanted to kill me. Justin, I think I'm gonna head back. You see my keys? One drink, okay? Bottoms up. Hello. You need to get out of that house right now. Why do you look scared? Don't be scared. It'll all be over soon. So this is basically a two-man show. It is. And one of the men is Mark Duplass, and he has a creepy face. He, <laughs> well, no, he does. He, he does. also has a face of of a nice guy. But yeah. then, nice, like, what's with you? And he really puts that to good use here. Even at the very beginning, when he's introducing himself and, you know, when he's, when he's saying that he has cancer and stuff, you're like, uh, it just, something's not right with you. It's another really minimalistic movie. I mean, there are more sets. They go outside. They leave the apartment. They move around a little bit. But the the dynamic that the two actors create, the cat and mouse that they're playing, is perversely fun. You know, I mean, there's a real dark humor that runs yeah. through this whole movie. And but the, it's, the second actor is the writer-director. Yes. Patrick and, uh, Bryce. And he does a great job. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and there's a—he, Patrick Bryce's character, is nursing— Maybe a crush? Like, maybe that's why he's come out here, because yeah. maybe he has a little bit of a crush, which which gives it an interesting angle, because I think in a lot of cases, the predator and prey type film, especially in horror, you get the sense of kind of a romantic leanings because of the female character. But the fact that they're both men, I think, just makes the movie that much more interesting. Yeah, so this was uh, 2014. Then uh, in 2017, Creep 2 yeah. was put out. And then there's still a third one in development. Mm-hmm. Is that right? There is a, th- a third one in development, okay. yeah, for Netflix. And, I, I, you know, I mean, they're, they're so inexpensive to make. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, they're incredibly enjoyable. So I hope they keep making them. Yeah, and this one, not the enclosed spaces of Barry. They're out in the woods, 
and as uh, yeah. he's taking out him out river. on oh, an yeah. adventure mm-hmm. and things like that, where he just, early on, he just starts playing with his emotions a little bit, like, boo, like gives him a oh, stare, sure. and then just a little bit here and there, and just keeps pushing, keeps pushing until he takes it farther, and uh, until uh, the, the videographer feels like, yeah, I'm, I'm in over my head here, and yeah. I, and, and I got to get out. And as you would expect in a movie like this, a lot of it's highly improvised. You've got two people, just two actors, and they can just let loose, and especially when one of the actors is the writer-director. So I guess he gave them, Bryce gave them, just a, you know, just a bare bones, an outline, and then they went with it. And it has, it has that sort of free-flowing feel about it. That just speaks really to Duplass's creative gifts because mm-hmm. his is the character that's nuts that you think somebody sat down and really decided this is the crazy ass shit you're going to say right now. But the fact that it just came from his head <laughs> is a little scary, a little unnerving. Yeah. And toward the end, about an um, hour and 15 minutes into it, uh, you can see that Joseph, um, Mark Duplass's character, he has made a lot of different tapes over the years yeah. of people that he has done this to. Yeah. That's creepy. It is. You see their names yeah. and the years on them. Yeah, it's really, it's, it is. It's really a gut punch. And then, no, but not not as much as that mask. Oh, my God. Oh, I know. Uh, <laughs> especially when you just see it. It's in the dark for a minute and you don't get a oh really good God. look at it. Yeah. So good. <laughs> so good. Yeah, that is a, uh, a two-man chamber piece of horror for uh, our number four on our list from 2014. It is Creep, and we are awaiting Creep 3. So uh, who knows? After all this pandemic uh, madness dies down, maybe we'll get it. You said it's going to be a Netflix? The first two have been. Then it only stands to reason. Uh, Moving up to number three, this is one that's appeared on a few lists. In fact, one pretty recently uh, for good reason. After getting in a car accident, a woman is held in a shelter by a man who claims that the outside world is affected by a widespread chemical attack. From 2016, 10... Cloverfield Lane. So there is, you explained this to me one time, there's a sort of a formula that is sometimes used for radio station morning shows. Mm -hmm. You want three people, the dick, the dork, and the deer. Exactly. Which is exactly what you have here, except that the deer turned out to be kind of a badass. And John Gallagher, he's always the dork, isn't he? He is always (laughs) the dork, except in Hush. Oh, that's right. Uh, And then, of course, uh, we know who the deer is. And John Goodman is, is such the... I guess, chameleon character, and the entire movie just hinges on when he makes that transformation from one personality type to the next. And, uh, boy, I remember when we saw it, it really affected you big time. Oh, it really, And it was was really just the look of him was really all you needed, that he cleaned up. You know, and it's funny, too, that there are sometimes, there are some scenes in certain movies you feel like you can smell the film, and that was, that movie smelled like Old Spice to me right there. I was like, oh, he's got some aftershave on! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it just sent a chill down your spine because as things went along and you started to get, okay, does he have the best intentions? What's going on here? He doesn't. He does not. You figured he had sort of an evil backstory and an unsettling backstory, and then Boy, it just hit you 
like a ton of bricks as it hit her. Oh, right. And but when Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character wakes up and she's in a, you know, yeah, yeah, she's in a cement room and she's changed. She's got handcuffs on, you know, and he's explaining that it's for her own good. But, you know, later you're like, why does he have handcuffs and chains in that room? (laughs) What is that about? Yeah. I sometimes wake up in like, you can't wake up in a hospital room and they don't chain you down. I mean, it's, you know, you start off on the wrong foot there and then, you know, which which is necessary because that way it's not like a complete surprise. You should have seen it coming. And he develops, Dan Trachtenberg, the, the director, dread the whole time, mm-hmm. even during the, you know, they're playing the jukebox together. They're playing board games together. You're like... This is going to go south somewhere. Yeah, and in any type of movies such as these that, that have so few characters, boy, it relies so much on the talent of the actors. And, of course, their rapport with the director. Right. And it was Trackenberg's first. This was his first movie, wasn't mm-hmm, it? I think so. Wow. Uh, and all three actors here are great in forming these these relationships that feel authentic as, you know, the bond between them. As they're spending more time, just the three of them, okay, they would sort of fall into a routine, yeah. maybe playing the board games, things like that. And and we tend to, as an audience, uh, identify with that. But then you, when you have that turn, that has to feel real as well. And we've said before how good John Goodman is. I mean, I think some publications some time ago did some sort of algorithm and, and voted him the most valuable supporting character of all time. Actor, supporting yeah. actor of all time. Mm-hmm. He's so solid all the time. He really is, yeah. And he makes this movie. I agree 100%. I mean, the other two are great. They really are great. Yeah. Mary Elizabeth Winstead, she's always good. She is. She's a great, you know, central character. She's a great hero for a movie, but John Goodman is just exceptional. Yeah, and then once things happen and it becomes more about her mm-hmm. and how they tie it into the Cloverfield uh, universe. Mm-hmm. That takes a whole different level of, of excitement when she gets uh, she gets out there. And because of that, the cast members were not told. Originally, this was called The Cellar. It, it's based on a script called The Cellar. And I think that's how they referred to it early on because they didn't want you know the word Cloverfield getting out to try to preserve the secret as long as possible. And I know there are all sorts of ideas and fan theories or whatever, especially when you bring in the Cloverfield Paradox. The one after this, Mm -hmm. which centers around, I guess, the character that was John Goodman's character's brother, I think, is involved in it. Anyway, no matter how it's connected to that universe, it's just still pretty cool when you're dealing with monsters, maybe possible monsters, and who's lying and and who's not. And uh, yeah, it's it's exciting. And that is number three. On our list. Uh, Moving up to number two, another one that's become a favorite over the years for Fright Club. A grieving couple retreat to their cabin in the woods hoping to repair their broken hearts and troubled marriage. But nature takes its course and things go from bad to worse and chaos reigns in Antichrist. He said you wanted to help me! Where are you? Nature is Satan's church. The evil you talk about is an obsession. No! Did you want to kill me? Oh, yeah. There is a third actor, of course, uh, Storm Achin Solstrom, who plays the boy. Mm-hmm. But for, you know, 99% of the film, it's two people. And just what brave, really fearless performances you get from from Willem Dafoe and Charlie Gainsbourg in particular. Yeah. yeah. Um, and as we mentioned before, uh, the the boy, of course, mm-hmm. is seen mainly in the in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And what a what an opening that is. I mean, it just reinforces no matter what you think about Lars von Trier's issues. And he clearly has some man. 
that opening is so beautiful. And with the music going and the way he shoots it, of course, it's in, it's heartbreakingly tragic by the time that opening is over. But my Lord, what a just just that few minutes is an experience. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. it absolutely is. And then you've got their time together in their apartment while they are trying to dig past this grief. And she's trying to just survive it. And he's trying to control hers yep. to keep him from dealing with his own. Yep. Neither of these is, are working out very well. And it's all very, very fascinating to me. But I remember when I watched it the first time that they decide to go to the cabin in the woods. <laughs> and I thought, it's cabin in the woods horror, which is one of my absolute favorite kinds because yep. I am terrified of the woods. And I was so happy. I was so happy when it took that turn. And also because Lars, Lars Matreyer, he is visually and well, in, in, in almost every respect, he's an incredible director. Incredible. But visually, his 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 the way that he shifts in tone visually from their from the opening poetry to the sort of sterile colorless apartment to this lush but foreboding and very dark woods is stunning. Yeah, because the way he shoots and frames the woods, it just it's going to envelop them. Mm -hmm. It just is. It's cascading down around them and it, it, it makes you somehow in the middle of all this openness feel claustrophobic because it's just their their world with literally, literally and, and figuratively, I guess, is just is just closing in on them because you're right. He is a, a psychiatrist who, of course, makes the uh, wise decision to uh, treat his family member. Even I know that's that breaks some <laughs> ethical rule, right? You don't do that. It's a bad idea. It's a bad idea. Bad <laughs> idea for him. And this is one that got delayed. This movie got delayed for about, I think, almost five years because one of the producers accidentally revealed the original ending. Oh, yeah. and then he had to rewrite it? Right, which, wow. I, which, I, which I guess was supposed to be the revelation that Satan created the world, not God, okay. which is so out of step with Lars von Trier. <laughs> I, don't, I, I can't believe that. But, of course, he was fur furious if, you're, if that was the original ending, so had to delay the shoot so he could rewrite the script. So... You don't get that. You get a different ending, <laughs> and it's it is shocking to say the least. Um, and and you talk about making you squirm. This is one where your 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 insides just kind of clench up because yeah. of some pain being inflicted on both of these people. Yes, things. It's just it's just you know there are so many reasons not to camp, George. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if you're gonna camp, don't bring like tools. <laughs> uh. <laughs> keep the power tools. Keep the yeah. Keep the tools at bay. Keep them at home. And. Uh, as, as explicit as these scenes get, though, apparently uh, some shots had to be edited out. Uh, Willem Dafoe's penis had to be edited out of more shots because, according to Varn Trier, it was too large and unusual looking. Wow. Yeah. So who's, who's, who's are they using in that shower scene? <laughs> you know what? I'm just the reporter here, okay? <laughs> but, yeah, and, 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 and then, you know, and I alluded to it in the... Uh, in the beginning there, and I apologize if you haven't seen it, but the chaos reigns part, that just comes out of nowhere. It does. And it's more akin to a nightmare and is, is very um, very go in keeping with the fact that they're living this nightmare because that is exactly something that you would see in your mind in a nightmare. Well, it's funny. That moment for a lot of people, the, this movie is so heavy with emotion and over the top, that when that happened, a lot of people laugh. Yeah. And then it becomes a comedy to them. Like, you know, it's, it's broken. You've broken the spell. This yeah. is just lunacy. Yeah. Um, and for me, I mean, it's always been a beautiful, poetic, just tour de force of, of a couple of performances. Mm -hmm. But I can absolutely see where at a certain point you're just going, 
Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and this is uh, this is part one of Von Trier's trilogy of depression because he has admitted freely that he was depressed in the middle of this movie. Um, because he's before. so happy-go-lucky the he rest is. of the time. He is. So this is part one, followed by uh, Melancholia. Boy, think about another beautiful movie. Yes. Oh, my God. Melancholia uh, from 2011. And then Nymphomaniac 1 and 2 followed up uh, his trilogy of depression. But part one is our number two in our table for two here. This is Antichrist from 2009. Yeah, Willem Dafoe and Charlotte Gainsborough. What incredible performances. That just leaves number one. But before we get to that, uh, we, we meant to do this earlier, but uh, let's talk about the ones that are worth a mention here in uh, Minimalist, right. Table for One, Two, right. or Three, but didn't quite make the list. What do you got? Uh, primarily, they didn't because... So I, I, I thought some of these, uh, for example, the Blair Witch Project, I figure, well, that's going to be on here because I love that movie so much and because it is almost entirely three people, yeah. except uh-huh. for a couple of interview scenes and yeah. a couple of here and a couple... Well, then eventually, I came up with enough movies that truly were only one, two, or three people <laughs> that I thought, okay, well, I'm not going to do that. But the Blair Witch Project and Open Water, they were both movies that I assumed yeah. at first mm-hmm. would make this because they're glorious movies. And and they're great, unbelievable examples of minimalist filmmaking. But there are, in fact, additional cast members in those movies. Monsters is another great one that I don't think a lot of people saw. The The filmmaker went on to make the Godzilla, like, in between the middle Godzilla there, the one that we liked. Yeah. But this was a movie that he made before that. And, and I love that movie. And it's also got Scoot McNary in it, and I love him. <laughs> we mentioned ATM. Right, and right. that one is, um, it's an interesting movie. I don't think it can sustain the, the three-man show that it is trying to to give you, but it's still, it's a it's a decent, tense film. Paranormal Activity. Oh, yeah. That's almost entirely two people. Just but, about. But there are some scenes that that sort of break that up, mm-hmm. uh, where there are characters who have they names have and who have lines over. and stuff. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um, but you're right, for the most part, and, and the thing that we're really, really glued to, the, the footage, yeah. uh, is two people, mainly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wrecked is one I don't think very many people saw. It's Adrian Brody. He kind of comes to in a woods after a car wreck, and he can't oh, figure yeah. out what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, and that's yeah, just yeah. really two people for almost the entire film. And misery. Oh. <laughs> right? I mean, that'd be... Yeah, there too, are, there are. There are other characters. There are other lines. But it is almost yeah. exclusively. And wow, talk about performances. Holy cow. Of course. Two of the greatest. And then the other one that really came close to make this, because it is almost exclusively a three-person show, is... Frozen, mm-hmm. the um, not the cartoon, the uh, <laughs> the, the ski, ski, ski adventure. Yeah. I love that one. Yeah, that one is good. Yeah, those are all good and all worth mentioning. So glad we got to that before we uh, dive into number one, and that is keeping the uh, Willem Dafoe mini concert going. This is two lighthouse keepers trying to maintain their sanity, not doing a good job of it while living on a remote and mysterious New England island in the 1890s. We love the lighthouse from 2019. <laughs> Images, right? There's a guy on a boat. There's a mermaid. Mermaid, There's the real Ephraim. Images, but there aren't lines. There aren't names. There aren't people. Yeah. It's just this 
unbelievable couple of performances and a descent into madness like really nothing else. It, it's We love this movie so much, and we've talked about it many times. Now we're going to talk about it again. We are. Uh, yeah, it's such a two-man show, and uh, Defoe and Robert Pattinson, who's also fantastic, uh, they have said that they, they barely spoke a word to each other on set and were too exhausted to hang out together after the shooting. So they, they kind of stayed apart. And, you know, every actor is going to have their own their own way of doing things. I guess Defoe is one of those who really likes to rehearse, and Pattinson doesn't. You know, okay, whatever works. Everybody's got it. They're both great. But I think that probably does feed into their performances because you don't want these guys. These guys are not buddies. No. Um, and they come at it from two different angles. And, of course, um, you know, early on, Defoe is just sizing him up. On the run. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he's because he, he's been there. He's the vet. He's the vet, the, the wiki. And uh, which, by the way, I looked up. You get that um, that term from it comes from wick trimming, which is what they had to do early on when you had to light it. You had to trim the wick. So they were wikis. Gotcha. And there you go. If you ever get that in Trivial Pursuit. This is another one that's so dependent on these performances. And it's just it's mesmerizing so much about this movie. Just just draws you in uh, and and so you're just you're just hanging there on every little sight of every little word of course the sound we've we've talked about the sound design of this movie my god oh my um everything about it is so enthralling and it starts with the two of them yeah it does yeah and and I mean the look of it is of course the cinematography was oscar nominated the sound was was absolutely stunning and robert eggers who did the witch another just glorious film that everybody should see what he does here in a similar way, is just to meticulously craft the surroundings mm-hmm. and give you this sense of of being in a time out of time, you know, just being in this historical period. And I also love, in, in sort of the way that the scene in The Shining, uh, in the bathroom with Grady, right, where the power shift happens. Mm-hmm. It just happens irrevocably. Yep. It happens in the middle of a conversation. The power shift, who is alpha and who is not, it, between these two, when it turns, it turns forever, and yeah. it's never going to turn back. And it is so fascinating then the depths that that both characters are willing to go once each has changed position. Yeah, and again, that's so dependent on the talent of the actors. If you think about the scene in The Shining, everybody knows about Jack Nicholson. Yeah. But the actor that plays Grady, oh, yeah. just so good. And you know Stanley Kubrick was legendary for having to, people do scenes 80 times that they got it so perfectly right in that movie, and they get it so perfectly right in this movie as well. You're right when the power shifts. And this, Eggers, I guess... Um, was inspired by a couple of different a uh, couple of different areas in this movie. It's loosely based on a real life tragedy from 1801 called the Smalls Lighthouse tragedy. Mm-hmm. Killing me, Smalls. Yeah, I knew you were going to say it. <laughs> Somebody had to. Uh, and then, of course, it's also steeped in um, Greek mythology. Yeah, uh, which helped me understand it a lot and gives you a new because <laughs> I'm I'm not big on Greek mythology. I don't think you are either. Maybe you're better than I am. But uh, understanding some of that really helps you. But either way, even if even if you don't understand a lick of it, oh, I right. think it's still such an incredible film watching experience. I remember it was one of the films that was playing alongside the Nightmares Film Festival. So it wasn't part of Nightmares Film Festival. It was playing at Gateway while Nightmares was on. And a lot of us who volunteer at Nightmares were there for the whole three days or four days. We're mm-hmm. there the whole time. And our friend Bridget would just pop in and pop out. She would just pop in, take in five minutes, completely out of sequence, and pop out. And I remember sitting thinking, that is a genius way to watch this movie. It's a brilliant way to watch this movie because you don't really have to have the narrative thread. Yeah. And it let 
lets you fully appreciate just one scene at a time. Just the scene you're watching because every scene in this movie is genius. I, I have read books that way. I have not, <laughs> I have not watched a movie that way. Uh, remember you had a book, it was was it on Saturday Night Live or mm-hmm. something early on when mm-hmm. we first started dating? And I would just grab it every now and then and, and, and read some of it, and before you know it, I was done. But, uh, <laughs> you think. I, I, <laughs> I have not watched a movie that way. But that would be that would be another way to experience it. Maybe we'll do that next time. That is number one on our list of table for one or two or three, uh, The Lighthouse. So, so great. And uh, that leaves just room for you to tell us where we messed up. So uh, <laughs> what did we get wrong? Uh, let us know. We always love to keep the conversation going. You can find us on Twitter. It's at Fright Club Pod. Or, of course, on the brand new Fright Club Podcast Facebook group. Have I mentioned that enough? <laughs> well, I think that we need to thank Michael again for yeah. this excellent idea. Yeah, because I'm sure in the future we're going to get to many more of these great suggestions. So um, also you can find us on Instagram at Mad Wolf Columbus. And on the main website, where you can find all of our written reviews, our other weekly podcast called The Screening Room, which covers all the new releases, uh, you can find that at madwolf.com. So what are we looking forward to besides all the recommendations that uh, we'll get to eventually? What else we got cooking? Well, as I said earlier, the next podcast we are going to record with Jamie Ray of Fave Five from Fans, and we're going to talk about motorcycles in horror, mm-hmm. and that's kind of dedicated to you, oh, our motorcycle you. enthusiast. <laughs> you know, and I think the one after that, we'll just probably pick another one from this list because cool. there are some great ones that I'm excited to cover. Yeah, and we got to get back to... Um, StreamYard and do, yeah. and do one because those are fun. They are fun. And those are fun to do until we can finally get back to uh, to the Gateway in front of a live crowd, hopefully soon at the Gateway Film Center. But a lot to look forward to. We hope to uh, hear from you as always. And until then and until next time, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Fright Club Podcast. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. And stay frightful, my friends.